Village Church Belfast desires to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love, love Jesus, each other, and our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. And like I said last week, it's not a random statement. This is based on the three core building blocks of, of what it means to be a believer in Jesus, right? Uh, first of all, there's, there's a gospel shape. It's the gospel at the center of that. We, we desire to be a gospel-shaped community. And then the second building block is community, where we're going to look at today. Um, we are a gospel-shaped community of people who, who not only love Jesus, but we love each other as well. And then finally, his mission, that, we, that we, we love our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. And next week, Lucas Parks is going to be here, and he's going to teach on what it means to be community on mission. Um, and I think he's pretty excited about that because... Uh, Unknown to some of you, uh, Village was started in a living room in Timby Park, just around the corner from here, just a few doors down from uh, Liam and Claire. Um, and so I think he's excited to come back and talk about mission and community uh, over here. Um, so we, last week we looked at the gospel as the building block. It's the, how the good news of Jesus, is, if, you, if you want to explain it to someone really simply, it's that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's the, that's the core message, and we saw why it's good news, right? It's because, because of that, that when Jesus was raised, he raised us who believe in him with him, that we've been, made, we've been brought from death to life, uh, and that's why it's the first and most important uh, part of who we are, right? It's not just a thing that gives us life, but it's a thing that shapes our lives. And this week, we're going to look at community, as we've already said. So I'm going to pray for us. Cards on the table. I feel pretty physically weak this week and this morning. Um, so I'm going to pray for myself as well. And if you can pray for me too, that would be great. Father, uh, we love you. Um, we're glad that your word speaks to us. We're glad that, it's, that it speaks to our hearts and it's alive. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, look into your word this morning, you'd speak to our hearts. Give me strength and stamina to, to deliver the message that you've given us as a church. Um, and may we as a, a community, as a family, hear what you have to say us, to us this morning. May it shape our lives and make us more like Jesus. For your glory. Amen. Um, so firstly, I want to start by looking at this idea of community and particularly why community, right? So why, can't, why, why is the church a community? Um, community is a bit of a buzzword at the minute, right? Um, last night I was just looking at some Facebook adverts, uh, and f not the ones that pop up, but actually things advertised on Facebook, and they're really, really good at playing on this idea of community, aren't they? Um, so, you know whenever they messed up last year and, and all the fake news and privacy stuff, even in the middle of that, they put out an um, advert that's really powerful. It's people sharing videos of, of their new grandkids and uh, friends being reunited and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and they build their brand on this idea of community. And maybe that's what you think of when you think of community. Maybe you think of uh, where you live, right? That's your community and your neighbors, and that's good, and, and you should be good neighbors, right? The Bible, if you're a Christian, the Bible tells us that we should be the best neighbors, um, and we're going to see that next week. Uh, or, or maybe it's less official than that. Maybe it's like a, a club, uh, or maybe it's more official than that. Maybe it's a club you're part of, or it's a, a football team you play for, or, or a political party you're part of, or something like that. But whatever your idea of community is, the truth is that most, most mentally healthy people are drawn to community. It's like, the, it's like we, we can't live without each other. We, can't, we just can't. And, and no matter how individualistic society becomes, and it is hyper-individualistic, we still yearn for, for human connection, don't we? 
Um, so even now, with so much of our lives are, are lived online, right? We, we all have, I'm, I'm assuming that everybody in this room probably has some kind of social media presence, maybe with the exception of a few. But, but even when we do most of our lives online, um, even when it's so much easier to only show the best parts of ourselves, we still do it in connection with other people. There's something about human beings that are, are made for community. But let me tell you this, and this is, I guess this is my, my, my thesis, my theory this morning, and we're going to show this from the Bible. No matter what you think about community, there is no community like the Christian community. The community of Jesus, the church, is like no other community on earth because we, the church, if you're a Christian this morning, we are members of one another. We're not members of a society. We're not members of a club. We are members of one another. This is what God tells us in, in Romans chapter 5. Keep your Bible open at Acts chapter 2. We're going to come back there, but there's a few other references I'm going to pull in this morning. Romans 12 verse 5 tells us that uh, Paul's describing what makes up the church. And, and this is what he says. So we, though many, so he's saying we are the church and though we're many, we are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Members of one another. We're, this just means that we are individually, we're each of us are in Christ. As we saw last week, this is what the gospel has done. It has united us with Christ. And because we're united with Christ, we are also united with one another. And, and this has always been God's plan, right? The story of the Bible, right from Genesis to Revelation, is the story of God making a people for himself. So in Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament, Paul writing a letter to Titus, he says... Um, that, that, that through, his death, through the death of Jesus on the cross, God was making a people for his own possession. And it didn't just start with Jesus. Way, 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 way back in Exodus chapter 6, when, when God is about, I don't know if you know uh, the, your Bible at all, but uh, basically the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and God's about to form a rescue plan with Moses to bring them out. And this is what he says in Exodus chapter 6, right near the beginning of the Bible. He says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And if we go to the end of history, in Revelation, what do we see? When we catch a glimpse of the culmination of all God's work in the world, what do we see? Revelation 21.3 tells us, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with humanity. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In other words, the final result of all of God's work throughout history is, is a community of people who love each other and love God and dwell with him. This is what God is doing in the world. You see, I want to emphasize that we, we, don't, we don't become a Christian. We don't get saved and then decide to join the church, right? Right? That's not, that's not how it works. It's not, it's not like joining the gym or a, a club or a support group. It's not, the church isn't the how to follow Jesus support group. Although, yeah, I probably need that one, don't I? Um, we all need the how to, Jesus, how to follow Jesus support group. But the church is part of the eternal purpose of God. It's from, from creation right through to revelation. It's God's eternal purpose is making a people for himself. 
John Stott, who um, was this uh, pastor and theologian, um, incredibly influential in, in the church, and he says this, uh, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community, his purpose conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history and to be perfected in a future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his glory. What does that mean? That means that if you're a Christian this morning, if you're here and you believe and trust in Jesus, then you are part of the eternal purpose of God. That, 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 that you are part of the people that God has called out of the world for his glory. And this means that for us as Christians, being part of the church is not optional. What I mean, like, of course you can decide not to be part of a church. But when we become Christians, we belong to God and we belong to each other. We've already seen that. We are members of one another. It's not that we belong to God and then make a decision to join a local church. Uh, being in Christ means that we are in Christ with other people who are in Christ. We are all in Christ. And so let me put it like this. You were born and everyone in this room has two biological parents. That's just the way it is. Now, you could decide not to be part of your family in the sense that you could change your name, you could move out, you could decide to never ever speak to any one of them again. But the truth remains that you would still be part of that family in the sense that you have their blood running through your veins, you have a biological connection. And so as with the church, it's not an option. If you're in Jesus, then you're in the church. And you can decide whether to join in with that or not. And what we're gonna see is that if you don't, your life will be so much worse. And you're missing out on so much. But when you're in Jesus, you're, you're in the family. It's part of your identity. Um, one of the other things that struck me last night when I was watching that Facebook ad is that so much of what the, so much of the kind of predominant thought in the world right now is about finding your identity. Yeah, yesterday we had a fundraiser in here for Steph's um, intern year and James was singing some songs and he sang that awful, awful, awful song from Frozen. <laughs> the, the worst song that's ever been written. I never want to hear it. That and one of Ed Sheeran's songs, but I have other reasons for not liking that. Um, uh, but this song is all about just be who you are. Who am I? I decide who I am. Oh, so much of the world is saying, who am I? And in our society in the West, it's probably not like this in maybe Eastern cultures, but here in the West, like our society tells us that, that you get to decide who you are and we build an identity for ourselves, right? Like our, 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 ident our, our identity is our job or who our friends are or what football team we support. Or by the way, James, your rendition was beautiful. It's just the song I don't like. You didn't write it, so that's okay. Um, but we, we build our identity on, on what, what we decide. Like, I was noticing this this week. Have you ever watched a game show on TV? How do people introduce themselves? Or how do they get told to introduce themselves? Thomas has been in the game show. How do you introduce yourself? Name, where you come from, and what you do for a living. That's it. That's how, that's how we weigh people up. What do you do? If you guarantee if you meet someone new for the first time, within a few minutes you'll say, so what do you do? And what we mean by that is, what is your job? But here's the truth. Here's what Jesus tells me in the Bible. 
An identity that I construct for myself is far removed from an identity that I receive by grace. And here's why. Because in the community of Jesus, I receive an identity uh, given to me by the grace of God, and I don't have to live up to the expectations of some identity that I construct myself. So if I don't like my job and that's my identity, I suddenly am worth less to myself and maybe to other people. In a community of Jesus, I have an identity given to me by the grace of God. And what is it? What is this identity? If you're a Christian, this is your identity this morning. I am a child of God. I am a bride of his son and the dwelling place of his spirit. Isn't that powerful? It's not dependent on what I do for a living or what I have to offer. I am a child of God. I am the bride of his son, Jesus. And I'm the dwelling place of his spirit. Every single one of you who trust in Jesus this morning, that's your identity. Not where you live, not what your job is, not who your friends are, because ultimately all those things just leave us feeling unfulfilled, don't they? And what's more than this, this identity has everything to do with the community of Jesus, the church, right? So way back in history, way back at the very, very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we are, humanity is created in the image of God. I don't know if you knew that, but that's true. There is something about human beings uh, which is made in the image of God, made in the likeness of God. Now, I would say that it's not the way we look physically, but it lies in this. It lies in this. God, when he's creating human beings, he doesn't just give some command. He enters a conversation. He says, let us make humanity in our image. In fact, Jesus, or Genesis chapter 2 goes on to tell us that the only thing in God's good creation that wasn't good was man being alone. You see, we weren't made to be alone. We're made in God's image, and God himself is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and so we are made for community. God, God the Father is, is only a father because he has a son. And because he is in community, we are made in his image for community. But through the fall, we rejected God. The fall is when we reject God, when, we, when, when, when Adam, the, the, the archetypal, the first human being, rejects God, and that image of God became broken and distorted. But here's what happens. When we trust in Jesus, when we enter the church, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us makes it possible for us to live as the image bearers that we were created to be. This is what the church community is. In the community of Jesus, the, the image of God is being restored in us. So, so each one of us who are part of this family, we bear the image of God. And when we do that together, we bear his image in a real and true sense. This is why all through history, God has been creating a people for himself. Because we threw it away. We threw away the image of God. And through Jesus' redeeming work on the cross, he's restoring that. He's restoring the image of God. He's restoring the community that we were created to be. So why do we need this community? That's why the church is a community, but why do we need this community? I've got three things I want to point out. Firstly, without the community of Jesus, we're unable to see ourselves fully. Because this is the true nature of sin, isn't it? 
Sin is eternally self-focused and self-seeking, right? Nothing uh, is closer to the truth than how the, the reformers put it. They said that, that, that sin was, sin is man turned in on himself. There's a, there's a famous painting of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, a figure of a human being with his head bent right over navel gazing. That's what sin is, man turned in himself. If you like, it's the DNA of, of sin. The DNA of sin is selfishness. Sin puts me in the middle of my universe, which is the one place that's reserved for God. Sin reduces what I'm concerned about down to my wants, my needs, my feelings, my desires. Sin it makes everything about me. And that's the opposite of how we were created to be. And the sad part is, it's so easy for, for us as Christians in the church to make the answer to that problem, us. <laughs> We go, well, me being at the center is the problem, but also me being at the center is probably the solution. So I'm going to try my best to follow Jesus. And if I feel, well, that's on me. I'm going to try and live a good life because I can solve this problem myself. And we've given into this idea that the gospel isn't enough to satisfy that. that maybe, oh, grace, that sounds a bit too easy. That Jesus paid it all. No, no, I should probably do a bit more. And then we fail, and then we feel bad, and then we try even harder, and we feel even harder. And it just stems from the fact that we're all sinners, and, and doing it for ourselves is in our nature, right? Ever since the Garden of Eden, when humanity disobeyed God, we've been, we've been trying to prop ourselves up, trying to, to put ourselves place, trying to, to put our, our needs and wants in the place of highest prominence. And the church isn't immune from it. Think how much self-reliance encroaches into our churches, Right? It's so easy for us to forsake the, the great, one of the greatest gifts that God's given us here on earth, which is each other, the church. It's so easy for us to be self-absorbed. We're all self-absorbed. I am. You are. It's so easy for us to feel alone. It's so easy for us to, to think, nobody understands what I'm going through. It's so easy for, for us to think that, nobody, I mean, no, nobody's in a, a bad a place as I am. And the problem is that most of us, probably the majority of us, don't realize, deeply realize that, that our walk with Jesus is a community endeavor. It's something we do together. We were made to follow Jesus together because it's part of his redeeming work is redeeming that broken community image of God. Why, why do you think like 90, I think it's 97% of the New Testament is written to communities, not to individuals? Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 7, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This means that the thing that attracts us to sin is not primarily outside pressures. It, it's, it's our inside pressures. It's that craving for self-promotion, that self-gratification, self-sufficiency. It comes from within. So like external things, peer pressure, uh, hard circumstances, those things never make us sin. They just reveal what's already inside of us. And so if you think about that, with all that darkness lurking within us, 
How foolish is it that we should try and turn to ourselves and rely on ourselves as the answer? Like, are we really that naive? Are we really that stubborn? Are we really that arrogant that we think we're the problem but also the solution? My heart for us as a church family is that community would be vital to every single one of us for spiritual health, for for maturity, for dependency, for growth. You see, you weren't made to go through life on your own. The fact is you can't, you can't go through life on your own. You need community. Secondly then, without the community of Jesus, we're unable to see God clearly. That's not true. Well, it is true. But without the community of Jesus, we're unable to see God fully, is what I want to say. So this idea of like the, the Lone Ranger Christian isn't found in the Bible. It, it's something that we've invented. There's no such thing of, well, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. That doesn't exist. God said it's not good that we should be alone, remember? God's intention and creation for his people requires companionship. Um, what this means is that we, we just can't understand God fully on our own, right? And, and I'll, I'm going to read something and then I'm going to explain what I mean by this. So C.S. Lewis, uh, he understood this really, really clearly. And he was part of this group of French, uh, a friendship group uh, called the Inklings and uh, and, and uh, J.R. Tolkien was part of that, and this other guy called Charles. And when Charles died, this is what he wrote. He wrote, in each of my friends, this is in response to his friend dying, by the way. In each of my friends, there is something that only uh, some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Roland's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald to myself now that Charles is gone, I have less of Roland. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of, blessed, of the blessed increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That's why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more thus we share of the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. Beautiful. I, I've ruined it by reading it terribly, but beautifully written about the need for other people in knowing God. We can't really understand another person without them in the context of other people. This is how we're created to be. And it's the same when it comes to God. We understand God best when we're in community with other people. And so as we sit in community and we talk about God, when we read the Bible and discuss Him, we begin to see the fullness of who He is. And so when we make our way around the community, we, we, be, we, we, we each see different aspects of God. You'll see one aspect of God that I haven't noticed, and I'll see an aspect that you haven't noticed. And so we, 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 we all illuminate the fullness of God to one another. This is how we've created to be. We need each other to see more of God. And this is what, this is what we do in our missional communities when we have family dinner together, right? 
So, so please don't ever feel that you have nothing to contribute to that conversation. Because you do. Because you know God in ways that are unique to you that I don't know God and the rest of your community don't know God. And we need to hear from you. We need to see what God has shown you that is unique to your relationship with God. And no matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes or for 50 years, it's all the same. The Holy Spirit is, we, is in us. And God speaks to us as the Holy Spirit speaks through us to one another. We need each other to illuminate those facets of God, as, as, as C.S. Lewis said. We need each other. Without the community of Jesus, we can't see God fully. Thirdly then, without the community of Jesus, we're prone to drift away. We're prone to drift away. The Bible talks about this, doesn't it, right? The book of Hebrews, for example, all right? Hebrews, like most of the vast majority of the New Testament, is written to a community of people. And it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. See, see all Christians, we, we probably, we hopefully want to, and, and we should want to stay close to Jesus. But if we try to do that on your own, you know what you're doing? You're setting yourself up to fail. What happens when you step away from community? Eventually, you fall away from the faith. It's so, so hard because our hearts are prone to wander anyway. And without the community of Jesus, we just begin to believe these lies of Satan. Satan tells us these lies about Jesus. Did God really say that? And the fullness of God's glory just starts to get chipped away. And without the community, there's no one there to kind of build us up or, or correct our thinking or, or to encourage us. And soon our sin deceives us. We believe all the lies about ourselves and all the lies about God. And we just drift away. But community keeps you from drifting. People reminding you of the gospel keeps you steady and sure, even whenever it's the hardest of times, you know? And I've experienced, I know many of you in this room have experienced that. And I know that, you know, um, Going through a hard time a couple of years ago when my sister died, like people in this community, text message of gospel truth, meeting up and, and hearing the gospel truth, keep, keep you sure and steady. This is why we have missional communities. If you're new to village, we'll sometimes say MC for missional community. It's not like MC Hammer or something. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's missional community. So, so that we all the time in our daily lives, reminding each other of the gospel, the very thing that gives us life and the very thing that shapes our lives. Just reminding us of the grace of Jesus and, and what God has done for us. And this is why we need community. But I want us to think also about what this community of Jesus looks like. So in the passage, finally gets to the passage. <laughs> no, I'm getting there, don't worry. In the passage we read in Acts chapter 2, there's this snapshot of what the early church looked like. This is the church in Jerusalem. So Jesus has just uh, ascended to heaven. And this is what the, the, the church looked like, right? Um, it kind of describes their, their daily activities, uh, what they, was important to them, and how they practiced it. And in this, I think there's six hallmarks of the community of Jesus, right? So firstly, number one, 
They had full devotion to Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, if you're in Acts chapter 2 there in your Bible, uh, verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, half-hearted, semi-devoted people rarely accomplish anything. Accomplish anything. And, and, and part, of the, part of what characterizes like a God-honoring community the true community of Jesus is this full passion and commitment toward the things that matter most. Now, listen, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that we're all going to be, you know, super excited to be in church every Sunday or, you know, uh, oh, yes, I'm going to be reading my Bible instead of watching Netflix or all those kinds of things. It doesn't mean we're going to be super excited all the time. It means making the hard decisions with intentionality to be devoted. It means I'm going to choose to pray. I'm going to choose to read my Bible. I'm going to choose to be with my missional community tonight. And it's this devotion to Jesus, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to each other, the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's the the thing that's mentioned most, or first here in this description of the church. And this should be the first hallmark of our church. That's why we started with the gospel last week. You see, in this family, if you're not part of this family yet, just so you know, The good news of Jesus is foundational to everything we believe and do. And that will never change. And if it does, I'm out. And we want to be a community that reflects this full devotion to God and full devotion to Christ and to each other. Secondly, number two, they had an anticipation of the supernatural work of God. In verse 43, um, we see that, uh, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, the result of being devoted to the gospel of Jesus was that the community was filled with awe. There was a sense of wonder. There was a sense of, oh my goodness, what has happened? See, the truth is that God is always ready to work through a willing community, always. And whenever we follow him with faith and courage, great things will happen. He will do great things. And, and, and here in Acts chapter 2, the people of the church prayed and they expected God to move. That's just a fancy Christian way. We expect, they expected God to do stuff. And this is what we want our community and village to be like. This is why we have prayer times on Sunday morning and on the last Sunday of every night. Why we have prayer and worship nights like tonight. Because we want to pray and expect God to do things. Because God's word shows us that when the, 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 the community of, of Jesus love each other and love him with faith and courage, that he's ready to work. In village each, they're going to baptize a 70 what year old man? 70-something-year-old man, gone 70-odd years, met Jesus, committed his life to him, and is getting baptized. Isn't that incredible? We need to be a church that thinks about and prays to achieve what can only be accomplished by God's supernatural power. And we need to trust him to do it. So come to those prayer meetings. It's not a plug. I don't, want I don't care how many people we have. I want people who want to be there and devote to Jesus. Come to those prayer times. Thirdly then, the rest are a bit shorter. 
they were deeply committed to one another, right? Uh, verse 44, love this one. We all like this one. Uh, all the socialists in the room like this one. All who believed were together and had all things in common. This is not communism. What this is, this is like honoring Christ by being loyal to each other. They depended on each other. They respected each other. They supported each other. Nobody had need, right? They're, they're not just unified. They have a, literally in the Greek, what this says is they, a, they had a strong sense of unity. I love that. A strong sense of the priority of unity. They make unity work. They know it takes effort. It means, it means letting go of any of the petty differences. It means not being self-centered. It means prioritizing unity above my own needs and desires. It means being quick to say sorry and quick to forgive. It means being generous. We're going to look at that next. Number four, they had a spirit of generosity. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, possession, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here's the point to this. I'm not telling you to go and sell your car or your house. Maybe you do need to do that because someone's in need. And if the Lord tells you to do that, then you should. But the point is this. In the community of Jesus, everybody is cared for and nobody goes without. If you're in need this morning, if you're in physical or financial or spiritual or any kind of need, please let us know. You shouldn't be. Because we, we all have struggles, right, don't we? Um, we all get disheartened. We all go through hardship. We, we all uh, have times when we can't pay the bills. We all have times when our faith is weak and dead. But in a biblical community, in, a, in the community of Jesus, we're not blind to these needs of each other. No, we see them and react and respond. So when somebody has a baby, like we mentioned, like that couple eat free for a few weeks because we all chip in so that they can be a family and then, because it's hard to have a baby, right? Yeah, that's, I was like, oh really? I don't know. Uh, or when someone can't go to work because they're sick or, or whatever, we help them pay the bills or we buy them groceries. Or when somebody has a family member that needs looked after, we go and help them with that so they can come to church or get a break or go for a coffee. And those are all real examples of things that are happening right now in this church. Generally, you guys are pretty good at this. And if you're new, this is what this means. This is how we live the gospel with each other. We show and share the gospel to each other. Number five, they had deep fellowship and togetherness. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, verse 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, this does not mean that they went to church like this every, sun, or every day. Uh, in the, they're still in a Jewish society in Jerusalem, and, and the temple courts were the place to meet. And this is what they would do every day. They would meet up together. It's like us going to grab a coffee or us calling in with a neighbor. And they would break bread in their homes and they would eat together and they, they had glad and sincere hearts. Now here's the thing. How many of us often feel like church is too much? It's just another thing we have to juggle. Like we're too, we're too busy. Like I have my job, I have my kids, I have school, I have kids. I said that. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> I have kids and kids and kids. No, no. Um, my kids are great. Um, but you have all these things to juggle, and, and we see church is just like another thing that we have to juggle in the middle of that, don't we? And so what's the first thing to let go? Church. 
And I'm not saying that you have to come to church. That's not what this is about. But we see church as this optional extra. We see it as just another thing. But let me give you this quick analogy to help explain where I'm going. When, before me and Haley were married, there was a time when Haley lived in Coleraine and I lived in Belfast. Uh, violins out. It was a long-distance relationship. 60 miles. Yeah. But, but when I wanted to see Haley before we were married, I would take time out of my life to go and see her. It was an optional extra, if you like. Not that it wasn't an optional extra. That's <laughs> really bad. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to say that. But like, I took time out of my life to go and see her. But now that we're married, when we got married, that switched. Being married to Haley is the base from which I do everything else in my life, right? That's it. It's, I, I, we are married, and even if, even if we're apart. So I'm going to England this week, and we will not be physically together in the same place. But we're no less married. We're still married it would be silly to think any otherwise and this is this is what it's like to be part of the church it's not an extra thing to fit in it's a base from which you do everything else when you are in Jesus you are part of the church you see what I mean and so when you have a baby I'm using that a lot because Tim and Leanne are here but like when you have a baby it's not like oh, I have to I have to manage church it's no that the community supports you and you're part of the church whether you can make it out to Gallardon or not does that resonate Stop feeling like church is a burden. We, find, we should find our rest in each other. We should find our joy in each other. I, I really don't want, and I'm sorry if it is, but I really don't want this church to feel like another ball that you have to juggle. And if you feel like that, come and talk to me because we've got blind spots as leaders too and we need to know these things and, and maybe there's things we could be doing differently. Church is, should be the thing that defines our lives and, 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 and helps us be Christ-like. Not just another chore. Number six then. This church in Acts chapter two, they had a, share, a sense of shared destiny from God. Let me explain that. Verse 47 tells us that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Isn't that great? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Along with that sense of awe that they had um, from seeing God answer their prayers and being devoted to the gospel. Uh, this church uh, saw, saw that like God was doing things beyond their expectations. They saw that God was doing a work of his own and they were like in touch with a power that was beyond them. See, God was through that community, being that community. I don't see any... Uh, mention of missional outreach events or uh, evangelism things. I see a community loving Jesus and each other and the community around them. And what happened? People were being added to their number. God was adding to them, those who were being saved. And I imagine as they were, as they saw like person after person, soul after soul, life after life coming to know Jesus, like they must have had this shared sense of we are part of something that is bigger than this group. Imagine what it would look like for us in South Belfast to commit to each other and commit to the Lord in that way. Imagine what God could do. Imagine, of the, imagine the souls that God's going to save in this neighborhood. I believe it. We, we are part of God's eternal purpose. This is what God's doing in the world. The church is what God is doing in the world. And sometimes we can't see that because it's imperfect uh, and it is a, another chore to be done and we don't get on with some people. 
But the church is God's eternal purpose. It's this gift of grace. See, and I don't want to I don't want to go into next week's sermon on mission, but this happens because not only do we see God clearly through community, the world sees God clearly through the community. There's no better advertisement for Jesus than the community of Jesus loving each other. That's, that's what he has created us to be. This is why we invite people into our community. It's why we invite people over for dinner. It's why we go to the pub with people. It's why we, whatever it is you, you do, insert you doing your life. This is why we invite people into it. It's why we share our meals or all those kinds of things. And there's people who are part of even Village South, your testament to that, invited into the community, seeing what the Jesus is like, and then coming to know and trust him. It's incredible. It's so powerful. But that's next week. I want to uh, briefly mention some things that, that might stop us from barriers that we might put up to fully committing to a community. Uh, the first one is self-condemnation. I think this is a really, really common one. Maybe you believe that your sin is too great for you or too great for God. You say, I'm a failure. I'm a terrible Christian. I don't even know if I believe this stuff half the time. And we think that we've nothing to offer or even worse that the community has nothing to offer us. And so we shy away from opening up or we shy away from taking part. We, we want to withdraw and pull away. And before you know it, it's been weeks since you've been at a family dinner and you pop in on a Sunday morning every now and again and you slip out before anyone has a chance to, to say hello. Second barrier that we put up is, is self-righteousness. Sometimes, and this is possible, it's so possible, and be honest with yourself, you believe that other people's sins are worse than yours, right? And, so, and our self-righteousness keeps us away from people who, who are struggling. And I hope this isn't the case for any of us, but I know that it probably is. I want you to know that in Village, it'll always be okay to not be okay. It's always the way it's going to be. And in this community, we're a community of grace, not a community of performance. Third barrier, self-protection. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you've been hurt by other people. Maybe you believe that, that God can't be trusted through other people. Maybe, maybe you think that, man, I couldn't reveal that because other people couldn't handle real me. I know, if, I know if you all knew my thoughts, you probably wouldn't want me to be up here. But here's what happens. When you try to protect yourself, all you do is just protect your wounds. They don't heal. And the answer isn't to run away from the community. The answer is to lean into community and allow the community to, to point you to Jesus just because we're all pointing each other to Jesus. He's the ones whose wounds bring healing. And the fourth barrier I want to point out is this, self-pity. Oh man, we love to pity ourselves, don't we? we? Oh, my life is too hard. You wouldn't understand what I'm going through. So I'm not even going to share it with you. Oh, there's no point. Listen, if you want to be known, if you want to be served, if you want to be even celebrated in the community, you need to be challenged by community. You need to allow people to say, I think what you're thinking is, is misguided or wrong. We need to, to point each other to the grace of Jesus and allow him to correct us. 
Because the reality is we all just rely on the fact that Jesus took pity on us in the first place, right? So where does this leave us then? And we're nearly done. You weren't designed to live alone. You weren't created to exist in isolation, right? Autonomous Christianity never works because our spiritual life was designed by God to be a community project. That's what God has always been in the business of doing. And reliance on Jesus and his grace and trust in the gospel community that, that, that God designed us, the church, to be, that's the, that's the, the sweet spot. That's the dependence that, that we are made to enjoy. There's a common ground because we're all just dependent on Jesus. So can I encourage you this morning to just commit yourself to uh, the community, to commit yourself to the community of Jesus, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. We're all just relying on Jesus. This is what the church is meant to be. I, I, I hate this phrase, but I really hate this phrase, but just do life with people. That's what, the, that's what it is. With, 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 with others who, who challenge you and encourage you and build you up and point you to the cross. Commit to missional community if you haven't done so. Maybe you're already part of a missional community, but you don't really commit to it. Commit to it. Serve those people well. Love them really well. And, and if you're not in a core group, then start one up. Grab some other people and start one up. Become a member of the church. I, I, Mark Dever, who's a pastor in America, I heard him say this thing uh, this week. He, says, uh, he said, uh, it seems like everyone is talking about community these days, but looking for it in one of the least talk, talked about places, church membership. Everybody's looking for community, but no one's looking for it in church membership. And if you're not a member, can I just encourage you to, to, to come to that belong class on the 27th of October? Make a commitment to your brothers and sisters, not so that we can have the, the biggest, I don't, we don't even want to have the biggest church, but so you can know Jesus more, see God more clearly, so you can be corrected and taught and encouraged and loved and healed through the community of Jesus. And here's what I want to finish with this thought. This promise is my last thought. In John chapter 19, uh, we, see the, we see Jesus on the cross. John writes about uh, his friend, Jesus, hanging on the cross. And there's some details in that that we can't afford to miss. Jesus is hanging on the cross and his mother's there, Mary is there and, and his friend John is there and a bunch of other people. And in the middle of Jesus' suffering, in the middle of his pain, right? I mean, he's all been whipped and beaten. He's wearing a crown of thorns. He's kneeled to a cross and he looks at his mummy and he says, mother, behold your son. And he looks at his friend John and he says, John, he says, behold your mother. Now, some people have tried to reduce this to, oh, it's just some way of Jesus making sure that his mom's looked after when he's gone. But it's not. It's way more than that. Jesus is saying, because of what you're witnessing right now, because I'm hanging on this cross, you have a family. That's what the cross does. It, it makes us family. The death of Jesus makes us brothers and sisters and mothers and sons. So let me invite you to do the same. Look around this room, Right? These are your brothers and sisters. These are your mothers and sons. The cross of Jesus has made us a family. That's what the gospel does. One of our core values as a church is church as family. 
And we are brothers and sisters in the most real sense because of what God has done through Jesus on the cross. And if we keep coming back to the gospel in this way, and if we see and interact with one another through this lens, through looking at the gospel, how would things change? How, how would we treat each other differently? How would we feel when one of us is in need or in pain or sick? Men, how would you look differently at the women in this church if you saw them as your brothers and sisters? In your own private thoughts. How would all of us feel when one of us is in need? How would we react to when someone hurts us if we see them as blood-bought brothers and sisters? When all of us are sick or broken-hearted or grieving? Um, uh, Guy Garvey, the singer of the band Elbow, uh, he has this lyric from a song and it says this, we've got open arms for broken hearts like yours, my son, come home again. And I couldn't help thinking that there's people in this church who need to come home again. And maybe that's you. I wish the church was like that. I hope our church is like that, that we could be the open arms of Jesus. Can we be the open arms of Jesus for each other? And next week we'll learn how to do that for the world around us. Maybe you're the brokenhearted one. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're full of doubt and fear. Maybe you just want to run away from church. And I want to encourage you to lean in even more. Let us, let the church be the open arms of Jesus that we're made to be. There's healing in community. And there's tons of people in this room who will testify to that. And the great news is, even if you're not a Christian, this is available to you. You don't have to be alone. Maybe you've been searching for family, searching for community. You don't have to be alone. Trust in Jesus. Come into the family. Let us be the open arms of Jesus. Um, because through the gospel, us who were once not a people, we are now a people. God's people. Let me pray for us. And Thomas and the guys are going to come lead us in song again. Yeah?